Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the Photography Podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 155, and this is sadly but excitingly, excitingly, one of the last episodes where I get to say welcome to the Photog Adventures podcast. We are transitioning. We, Aaron King, is transitioning from Photog Adventures podcast, a landscape photography and Milky Way astrophotography podcast, is transitioning from a confusing branding, a confusing mixed message of what am I interested in, landscape and astro, but then anyone who's followed me recently knows that I'm really, really biased towards Milky Way. And so when the coronavirus started, you know, doing what it did, killed the economy, killed the the tourism and made my business basically flop. I needed to focus. I needed to either get out of this business or do something that's a little more focused. And Aaron King is focusing on Milky Way. And to help me begin this transition from the Photog Adventures podcast to the Milky Way Photographers Guild podcast is a friend of mine. I'm going to say friend, even though we've only hung out and talked like two times in the past, Mike. (laughs) But right now, it looks like our next month, we'll have a chance to actually meet in person. And so I'm bringing in my co-host today, where this is going to be an entirely Milky Way photography, Milky Way topic podcast. But we're bringing in a guy who him, he himself, I don't know if you have a tattoo of this, but you are known as Milky Way Mike. Do you have a tattoo anywhere of Milky Way Mike? No, not yet. Not yet. Maybe, Not yet. maybe in the future. Uh, I got to find some space on my body. <laughs> maybe using your brand is too risky. I don't think you'll ever yeah. change from Milky Way, Mike, but that's a bit risky. Nah, I mean, I do have, like, I was a big surfer, so I have, like, a whole surf scene type, you know, ocean. And, oh, um, yeah? yeah? Yeah, so that was, um, that's pretty much my my tattoos right now. <laughs> That was that was that chapter of my life. So maybe I will do a new chapter on this arm. Yes, yes, a new chapter of Milky Way. You'll have like all the Milky Way positions for the Northern Hemisphere for yeah. each month of the year, and it's like December is boring somewhere. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. Your tattoo arm. So guys, this is Michael Versprill. You know him as Milky Way Mike. His YouTube channel, Milky Way Mike, is extremely popular. I want to point to something else that you do, but I can't think other than MilkyWayMike.com. Where else can people find you, Mike? Just YouTube.com backslash MilkyWayMike and MilkyWayMike.com for everything you need. Awesome. And Sweet. My, my Instagram is uh, MilkyWayMike, but it's Milky underscore Way underscore Mike. <sighs> yeah, that's yeah. hard. You yeah. have to do that because someone else took Milky Somebody Way Mike. Somebody had that already, yeah, unfortunately. <sighs> have you tried to um, dox them yet and change nah, their life? Nah, it's it's, it's no problem. <laughs> yeah, no hard feelings. Yeah. So it's awesome to have Michael here as a co-host today because we're going to talk about our first Milky Ways of 2020. His back in February, right? February? Uh, was it? Fe- I think it was March. It was even March. Okay, oh, not as March far back as mine. Yeah, uh, his was back then. Mine was in April, my very first Milky Way of 2020, due to the coronavirus and clouds. You bleepity bleep clouds. So, Mike, hey man, how are you surviving the coronavirus out there in New Jersey? That is uh, ground zero for everything. Uh, it's been a little rough. I've been laid off from work, but um, temporarily. Nice. Um, so I'm going to focus a lot more on my photography and traveling and stuff like that. But uh, it hasn't been too bad as far as, you know, the media has portrayed it, but I'm making do. 
you know. It's I, not cannibalistic yet, like it yeah. sounds like it is. Yeah, I've been collecting unemployment, so that helps. And uh, now I'm just trying to stay focused and put some structure into my life. That's the hardest thing. I think we have all this free time, and I've been wanting all this free time, and I'm like, all, all right, right, I have it. Now i got to make something with it and do something. So I that, was going to write that book if I only had more time. Now yeah. you have more time. Have you written that book? Yep, yep. So <laughs> so it's hard trying to find that balance of uh, you know structure, like make sure I work out every day, making sure you oh, know wow. not to – eat or drink alcohol every day. <laughs> yeah. I have been the opposite of you. Yeah. I have managed to door dash crappy high carb, or high, high carb, high calorie meals to myself. And I've gone from this desk that I'm interviewing from to that couch over there. And at one point, I even moved my desktop, my PC gaming desktop out to the couch so that I could die in my own <laughs> filth on the couch. I mean, it has been a weird, weird time. And so I, I got hung hungry to go do something and just um three four days ago i went out and disc golfed i i know that the rules in utah are pretty open compared to some states we can go to parks but not necessarily in groups we're not using the playgrounds but just going there to walk uh ride a bike yeah. stuff like that with social distancing is fair fair game and so i went out there and disc golfed by myself if you guys you're familiar with disc golf man you ever disc golfed just is that where you just throw the disc um into like a like a chain Thing, yes. Or, yeah. Okay. It's got a bucket that has a chain, a bunch of chains around yep. it, so that when yep. the disc hits the chains, if you hit it right, it'll flop right in and not go flying off, and you curse the yeah. skies, and you're like, "What the crap?" So you got these specialized discs, not like frisbees, but actual discs that you can throw that have special turn, and they they fade right or they fade ah. left or they go straight, and they have putters, and so you got this like disc bag of twenty plus discs that you're out there walking around, and it is it is it is honestly the sport of the um the the druggy weed using beer drinker but you know the athletes who are the pros are yes they're 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 hitting back a few beers and smoking while they're playing so it's not exactly an athletic sport but it's a lot more than what i've been doing and so i went out there and i'm throwing some disc and you got that full trunk rotation like baseball you know you're yeah. swinging your hips and pulling your shoulders across and I spent the next two days practically laid out. My back has not made that motion in over a year because photography doesn't ask for it. And I've been so down since December. I made the terrible mistake of counting, okay, Aaron King needs a break. Starting in October, I'm going to take a break. And I'm not going to do anything in November, December, and then January, get going back into things. Well, d December and January, November were great breaks, and then I stopped, thought in February I was going to get rolling, and that's when everything started getting crazy. And yeah. by the end of February, where I spent most of my time working on behind-the-scenes Milky Way Photographer Guild website stuff and working on this and that from the desk, I thought, don't worry, March you're going to be out and about, April you're going to be hiking a bunch. It's okay that you spent four months basically cooped up in your apartment. And then by mandate of the governor and mandate of, you know, social distancing, I've had to continue that for two more months. So Aaron King has been stuck in this this freaking apartment since November, really, for six months now. And so I'm going freaking crazy, and I'm, like, more out of shape than I've ever been. I was already a heavy dude, little chubby short guy. Now I'm a chubby short guy who can't even fit into his pants that he wore in the Faroe Islands in September. What the blank? So if you're working out every day, I'm crazy jealous. Because I'm trying, man. To. I'm trying to at least walk um you know my the good thing is with my company even though i've been laid off i still have my health insurance and oh. uh, as long as i do ten thousand steps a day for only 12 days out of the month 
they'll give me 20 bucks a month so every every, every bit you know matters so i'm the trying to trying to do my 10,000 steps a day and uh, actually i had to you know i left the gym um because well they kind of before they even closed them down because of covid oh. i was like this is gonna get shut down because for obvious reasons <laughs> right. and um so i was like hey can i freeze this for six months and i found my old trusty uh my, my p90x Ah, P90X. I don't know if you guys remember that from back in the day. Oh, that thing kills me. Yeah, so I'm trying to bring that back. (laughs) (laughs) I did like the cheaper version, or not the cheaper, but the like less crazy intense version from the same guy. I can't remember what it's called, but he just sits up there and tells you to focus. You got to focus. And you're going, yeah. It's all beach body. (laughs) <laughs> you got the girl over here or the guy over there who's showing like the, if you can't do this move, do that guy's move. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that guy's move. Woo-hoo. I can make that stretch. I can make that movement. Oh, I can do that twice and I'm done. Oh my God. Ouch. So that's intense. And you're doing it right there at home. I should be yep. doing that, but I, I can't bring myself. I, even though no one's here and no one's watching, I, I feel ridiculous. Yeah, well, I just want this weather to warm up because, um, you know, I, I started mountain biking last year. So oh, now that yeah. it's starting to get a little warmer, I could go mountain biking with my buddy. Um, there's a few places that are they're starting to reopen that we could access. And I actually bought rollerblades last year. I guess I was going through like a midlife <laughs> crisis or something. Where I start skateboarding <laughs> and rollerblading again. Yeah, yes. bringing it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was big into roller, like aggressive skating, jumping on rails and stuff. So I've been going to skate parks, but they shut those down. So it's kind of a bummer. But around uh, the you know around my neighborhood, I'm just rollerblading, jogging, skateboarding, riding my bike, whatever I could do. I got to do more of that, man. By the time you get out here in late May, I hope I can drop at least 20 pounds, and I won't look skinny because I'm huge right now. But at <laughs> least I won't be the extra COVID 15 that I've gained. I don't know what the number is, but I know that when I tried to put on those pants last week when I went for the Milky Way, I'm like, oh no, I'm that much. <laughs> I've gained an inch or at least of mass. Okay, this has got to stop. This has got to change. So I'm glad you're staying alive and going well. That um coronavirus situation is devastating to everybody and it's also new jersey is a terrifying location compared to utah's situation with the coronavirus we have a a lot easier going out here so i'm glad that you're staying safe i'm glad that you're doing well but let's move away from coronavirus now let's just talk about the things that we love (laughs) oh i know right we're done. I'm done. So then, when you're that. thinking about uh, going out and doing Milky Way photography, your first ever, you're thinking was somewhere in February or March. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it was late February. Was it late February? I, you know okay. what? It's funny. When I got laid off, I, I'm like, "What day of the week is it?" Like, I, I totally lost track of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, suddenly, Thursday through Saturday feels like the same yeah. day. You have I think, no I idea. I think it was towards the end of February um, when I took that Milky Way, my okay. first Milky Way shot of 2020. And that's a good time to go because the Milky Way is getting higher up on the horizon and it's longer before Astral Twilight. So where did you go? First, I want you to tell us the story about where you went and how it, how it was all to put it all together. But then I'm going to ask you the classic Photog Adventure question of what went well and what didn't go well. So think about that as you're going through the story. Okay. So if you guys have um, – you're sitting there at home and listening to the podcast – 
pause right now and go over to YouTube and search Milky Way Mike. You'll see his blog. His vlog. It's season two, episode one. My first Milky Way images of 2020. I also have a link right here in the description of the podcast where you can go straight to this YouTube video and watch this video about his experience of doing a cool time lapse out here. Um, yeah, tell us the area and tell you tell us what you did. Yeah, so I um, I went to Assateague Island in Maryland, which is a common spot that I like to go to for several reasons. Um, it's not that far of a drive. It's about three and a half hours from me, which, you know, to some people that's a far drive. But when you're coming from New Jersey and you have all this light pollution, um, trying to get away from it, uh, three and a half hours is really not that bad. Um, the, you know, the border class there, I think, is like a two, um, you're shooting towards a one. So it's really, really dark. Another thing I like about Assateague is you're allowed to camp on the beach. And, um, you know, I, I just I love the beach. I, I always have. Um, and there's wild ponies there, too. So that's pretty cool. Wild ponies out there? Yeah, that's awesome. yeah. So sometimes you run into them, which is uh, just really cool to hear them at night, too. You know, making the noises. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a beautiful spot. And what I love about this time of year, like going in February, March, or April, it's not too busy yet, you know, because it's still cold at night. And uh, you don't have to worry about people messing up your your shots. And uh, that was my biggest fear is somebody messing up my time lapse. Uh, uh. I found a location that was secluded and there was no cars parked there. Um, and by the time I got there, you know, the gates were open and, um, you know, you're allowed to camp there. So uh, it, it really wasn't an issue. So I set up my tent. I actually brought two different tents because I wanted to do two different time lapses. And I wanted the one time lapse um, to, you know, I want the camera to slide through the tent. And I have a really big tent meant for four people. And it has opening on both sides. So I opened up the netting on both sides. And, um, you know, I, I was like this. I, I don't think I've really seen something like this before. And I'm constantly trying to challenge myself to do <laughs> something that people haven't done before. So I was like, all right, let me you know let me time this right that was the biggest challenge was using like photo pills and uh you know taking i have the syrup genie um slider and the the original one so i had to figure out um when the milky way was gonna basically come over the horizon and when the camera was gonna get to a certain point in the tent where it'd be visible so i kind of planned this all out and the logistics of it and um you know, it wasn't until later on in the night when that was going to happen. So I actually took a power nap in the back of my van. I have a, a nice little comfortable bed. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. I think it was like 20 degrees that night, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I took a power nap, woke up, had all my gear ready to go, had the tents already set up. And sometimes it gets really windy at Assateague Island, and that's one of the biggest challenges. But I was fortunate that it actually it really wasn't windy that night. So it, pretty much everything worked out how it was supposed to. I know you said to think of something that went wrong, but this is like one of those things where knock on wood, everything went right. Um, <laughs> I think the only thing that kind of messed up in the night, at one point I did have a, another photographer um, drive up into the spot. I guess he saw my car and was like, hey, what are you photographing over here? I'm like, man, it's the same thing everywhere. It's just beach, you know? So <laughs> there's really no good foregrounds there. Um, sometimes you get lucky with like a tide pool. But um, other than that, I like to use my tent as a foreground i like to light them up and uh, i had one tent where i lit and i did a time lapse and then i had another tent where i had the time lapse of you know the camera going through the tent 
so those were my two compositions for the night and uh just yeah it worked out really great and uh it's a beautiful spot i highly recommend it well let's go back to the one tent that has the time lapse going through it and i want to define it a little bit more for those of you who haven't gone and watched the video go to milky way mike's youtube channel hit subscribe and then watch this video you can't watch the video unless you hit subscribe first so <laughs> then you guys go into this and Imagine the tent where he doesn't have the rain fly on, so all of that uh, yeah. mesh sides on the right and left and in front of where the door is, you can see the stars yep. through the mesh right yeah. there. That was really and cool. And right out the hole of the front of the tent, there is zero core. So when he's talking about planning with photo pills, he had to make sure that the direction he was facing the whole of his tent and then start the time lapse knowing that, well, the core is going to be coming into frame on this window as I start heading the camera out of the window. And this camera gets pushed from the back of the tent towards the hole in the window until it actually passes the lens. And then you're, fo you're, you're focused entirely on sky. Yeah. It is a really cool time lapse and very well timed out because the core ends up being dead center of the window. As you pull out, a boat goes off in the distance in the left and you see that go. And so I'm looking at this time lapse thinking, okay, did you start it earlier and then yeah. cut in the video only to the point to where you wanted? Or is this all, everything we're seeing in the time lapse in the video, 100% of the time lapse you captured? Oh, yeah, that's 100%. I didn't cut that in any shape or fashion. Like it's. So yeah, I just kind of, some of it was just a little sheer luck, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. break down how it went with PhotoPills that you were making sure, because I know we were all familiar with the AR mode and PhotoPills, and yeah. you can look at the Milky Way, but it can be a little off a few yeah. feet right and left, depending on your phone, your conditions, everything. So how comfortable were you that that hole was facing the right spot? So I always tell people to not rely on technology always. Um, <laughs> I like to bring a compass of my own. So I, I use photo pills, but I also look at a, a legit compass. And, Interesting. And I like to use that just to make sure that I'm in the right direction. Um, because sometimes the phone, you know, sometimes photo pills or even the compass on the phone is slightly off, like you were saying. So, yeah, yeah I, I definitely brought my own compass. Um, like I said, a little bit was just I, I use a, a fisheye lens. So that kind of helped, too. Um, just I was able to capture such a wide angle and um and the whole of the tent is actually a decent size so i knew if i was off a little bit that it, it would, would work still, it'll still work yeah okay yeah explain the compass method because i haven't gone out and ever done that i know roughly where the milky way is i have my own internal compass on where the milky way is i've done it so many times that i don't even put that much thought into it anymore yeah. so when i'm thinking about the idea of pulling up a compass do you adjust your photo pills to magnetic north instead of just direct north or do you not even bother with that in photo pills and using your compass you know okay here's north you know the azimuth the angle to look to see where the milky way core is how, how do you do that describe that whole process yeah i'm i'm like you uh we're I pretty much been doing it for so long that I kind of know right. uh, the compass is just, just kind of a little backup uh, in case technology fails and also in case I ever got lost or whatever, because sometimes I go on, you know, these hikes in the middle of nowhere, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just so I have a, a bearing, uh, you know, my bearings for North, South, East and West, which typically I know, but um, if I just want to verify it, it basically the compass I like to use is a pin. 
and I have like a few of them. So they, they just pin onto your backpack. So it's so convenient just to have that attached. It's not an expensive compass. It's nah, almost it's like, like a three toy. or four bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a, I pin it on there and I just take a quick look and um, I'm like, all right, that's Southeast. So the Milky Way is going to be in that direction. You know, that's pretty okay. much, that's pretty much how I roll. Um, you know, obviously later on as the Milky Way is more, you know, comes up more South and I'll be like, all right, it's facing South. So, you know, I use a compass in that regard. But I don't go too extreme with it, you know. Some people overanalyze everything, and <laughs> yeah, um, nah, I, don't, I, I just I just use it just to just to verify. Okay, okay. So you're not going too crazy. You don't have one of those construction. I can't think of the term right off the spot. Ah, I can't do it. I can't pull it out in time. I got <laughs> one of those words in my head that I want to say but I can't even bring it up. But you don't go too crazy. You don't go too nuts on exactly measuring the declination of Earth and how your angle is here. You just know southeast, and yeah. that's where it's going to be, and it's going to rise on the coast out there. So when you're dealing with an area that's nice and dark, you have a boring, flat beachfront. You bring a tent. Um, when you're yeah. dealing with lighting up your tents, do you use... Oh, describe the lights and how bright they are on the inside and how many you have to use, if not more than one, to create the light that you want and lighting up your tent. So to light up the tent, I like to use uh, typically a headlamp. Um, I'll, I'll bring like an extra headlamp and oh. I'll put on the lowest power setting. And sometimes I even have to diffuse it with like a white t-shirt. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because it'll be too bright. Um, right. So yeah, it's usually a headlamp. I have these, I have another like little LED light. Uh, that I like to use sometimes as well. Um, nothing, nothing fancy. Just cheap little lights and stuff um, that they've already got. And if they're too bright, I always tell bring, people to bring a white T-shirt. Um, that's one of the big recommendations. Uh, I usually say keep in your camera bag or keep it on you. Just wear it and you know, as an extra <laughs> shirt and take it off. And you could diffuse your your light that way. If it's yeah, I've too used bright. many a beanie to diffuse some light, but yep. not a white one. I usually just go, oh well, it's casting some yellow light from my beanie. That's okay. Yeah. It depends on the subject. So when it's inside the tent, you have one light hanging there from like the tent pocket above or just somewhere placed in the tent? Uh, usually I just put on the floor of the tent and then okay. I cover it with a white t-shirt and that's it. Pretty Easy. simple. Yeah. yeah. So in this time lapse, you guys will see that he has that one tent that he's on the inside of and going out of with the slider. Then the other one, it was rotating, wasn't it? Or is it static? I did a static time lapse okay. on the other one. Um, but... Because of the resolution, sometimes I'll add a little motion to it. You know, like I could zoom in or zoom out a little yeah, bit. Love doing that. So then it transitions into something that you're famous for doing and something that I don't do yet, but I really want to do. And I'm thinking about the process in my head of what you did to do it here. And it's so easy to do because you're capable of doing this thanks to time lapse you have all those options well that static time lapse transitions from a here's every star moving across the screen to you actually maintaining the position of each star as you add the other ones coming up and you create a star trail that grows itself and it's still moving what's the process of doing a time lapse of the star trails grow like that you know there's a few extra steps um it, it it's a little tedious. It's not too bad, though. Um, you would have to take those photos. You could bring them into Star Stacks, a program like that. And then in Star Stacks, they have this option that you select where it says save after each step. So basically, oh. so basically, as it's creating the star oh. trail, it's saving a picture with the, you know, the, the trail getting a little longer each time. And then you take those photos 
and you bring them into um, you know Lightroom or whatever you use to create a time lapse video, and uh, you combine those photos into a video, and that will create your Star Trail time lapse. That's the key right there, the yeah. save after each step. So you're yep. basically going to create one star, two star, four star, eight star, 17 yeah. stars, 100 stars, all of those in separate files. That's how you were able to pull them in as a video clip. That's correct. awesome. Yep. And then after that, um, am I correct that it still animates a little forward? Yeah. So once it creates the first few steps and creates the long trails, is it a different process or is it just all of these when they create it like that in star stacks, eventually it gets to the point where it creates a bunch of lines and those lines look like they're moving instead of adding longer lines. Yeah. Uh, it, what you said where it just looks like they're, it looks like they're moving. Um, it's because it's saved after each step. Um, yeah. And so you didn't do anything special to create then their nah. movement. That's just how it happens after what what kind of frames are you looking at here? 300, 200? Yeah, typically uh I shoot around 250 to 350 in that range. Um I try and shoot for about 2 to 3 hours. And it all depends. The number of frames is going to depend on uh, your shutter speed. So uh a lot of times I'm shooting now for if it's a time lapse, maybe like 20 seconds is my shutter speed. Okay. Knowing that people will always be hungry for your precise settings, thinking that they can reproduce it, and that's how it works, knowing yeah. that it just it changes all the time. Despite that knowledge, um, what do you typically do for your, um, your inter interval between? And you said 20-second long exposures. How do you keep your battery going that long for that much of a shot? So for the, like the, the tent time lapse where it goes through it, the, yeah. the one that's on the slider, that I use an extended battery clip. That was the Nikon D810 with the, the uh, 15 millimeter fisheye lens by Sigma. All right. And I think my settings for that, I believe I did uh, either 20 or 25 second exposure because it was such a, a wide field of view. I could go a little bit longer, like 25 seconds. Um, yeah. I think I did uh, f3.2. I like to stop down just a little bit. You know, really? if it's a 2.8 lens, I'll usually do like 3.2 or sometimes you know just to kind of bring a little bit more detail in the corners uh, gotcha. you know at least with that sigma lens because it's a little soft on the corners so i like to stop it down to like 3.2 or even 3.5 and um and as far as the uh so basically the way the slider works if it's a 25 second exposure i'll have to make it like a 27 second interval to give me two seconds of one to write the image to the file or to the card, and then it needs a little bit of time to move this, you know, to move the um, the genie unit a little. It has to move a little bit, and then it yeah, takes another true. picture. So it needs that little bit of buffer time to kind of take the picture, save it, and then move, and then take another picture. So if it's a twenty-five second exposure, it'll be like twenty-seven seconds for the interval. But typically, if it's a static, gotcha. if it's like a static time lapse, um, let's say I do a twenty-second exposure. My static time lapses, I'll do. I'll use the internal intervalometer a lot of times, and I'll make it twenty-one seconds. You know, so usually one second uh, interval, uh, one second longer than the shutter speed for the interval. Gotcha. Right on. So then when you're looking at this process, you said it went actually really well. There's nothing you would say that didn't go well. Yeah. Well, if you were to come back and recreate this, what would you do different? Uh, I want... <laughs> I have to think about it. I actually, I, I want to do it again. Um, I, I can't think of anything for that. But that one, I honestly, like, 
I was in shock. <laughs> you know, that's, I was like, wow, this came out really cool. And so I, I really want to do it again. Um, for that particular thing, I, I, I can't think of anything negative. And, and that's, that's not awesome. just, that's not me being like, you know, so confident in my work. It's just one of those things that just, <laughs> I, I couldn't even believe I got it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that is awesome. I mean, there's times like that, like my Milky Way shot that I captured over the Canyon lens. I wouldn't want to do anything different. Yeah. It was just happenstance and sheer luck of where I put my tripod down that the position of the foreground had this puddle of water right here in a good position where I could crop it nicely and not have it too tight on the edges. And it gave some interest in a boring part of the rock where the rest had interest. I mean, I wouldn't be able to go back to the Canyonlands and create as strong of an image as I created in the first place. So I know what that feels like. There's just certain moments where everything comes together, the conditions are just right, and, um, well, you got a little bit of luck on how the composition turned out to be balanced the way you love it. And so, yeah, wouldn't change much. I get that. You know so what? That, There's one thing. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, but yeah. No, I wanted you to add something else. When, uh, when I did watch it back, the one thing that kind of my pet peeve was um, I think I would tighten down the tent a little bit more. There was a little bit of wind, so the netting would kind of shake a little bit, and that added a little bit of flicker to the time lapse. So um, I would probably make the netting uh-huh. of the of the tent a little more taut, and to reduce any type of uh, movement. That, that's about it. <laughs> gotcha. And that's like you said, acetique is typically a little more windy than you had yeah. that night. So you were lucky that it was, you know, as calm yeah. as it was. Yeah. Man, okay, that's awesome. So those of you who are in the northeastern side of the United States, once you're allowed to travel again and get out there, man, coming out to a place like Assateague over on the coast, it's great to get away from the light pollution. You are in a Bortle Scale 2 looking out over a 1, and you have an opportunity to see the Milky Way in great detail that you wouldn't see other places. You have several time lapses in this one video. Is this all the same night? Like when you shot over that one building is that the same night uh yeah that was uh one night i brought okay. three, i brought three cameras with me i had a z7 a <laughs> z6 and my da10 so i loaded Dang. up my van and um i made the best of it whenever there's a clear night on the east coast it's you know it's uh, few and far between because it's not as dry as it is out west where you're at right so um i have to make do with what i could get and um, i try to make the most of it that's really good advice to think about it from the perspective of this is one of those rare nights. Make it brilliant. I can go out for four nights in a row and be okay out here in the desert yeah. and bring one camera. Yeah, I'm jealous out there of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be jealous until you finally come, and then that'll be the one week that it's just crazy wet and yeah, everything right? is raining be and it'll just frustrate you. <laughs> oh man! So overall. Out there at Assateague, is there any advice for someone who's thinking, oh, I'm in the area, I could drive up there? What would you tell them to make sure they do or bring or accomplish when they're there? Uh, definitely bring avoid. warmer clothes. Um, mm. Usually it gets a little chilly at night there, especially if the wind it picks up. And bring some type of like sandbag or something to weigh down your tripod for that wind to compensate for the camera vibration and stuff like that. Um, you also, if you're going to be camping there, you need to, you know, pay for, I think it's like 10 bucks to sleep there overnight. And uh, it's really not that expensive, 10 or 20 bucks. Okay. Right now, right now, I believe Astig Island is closed because of COVID. So make sure you 
reach out to them first before trying to travel there and make sure it's open. But I'm pretty sure right now it's closed. I'm not sure when they're going to reopen. And yeah. um, I actually had that problem last week. I went to Outer Banks in North Carolina, and they weren't letting anybody on um, really? except for except for locals or people that have work permits. So oh. what I ended up doing was um, uh, same thing. I, I was like, "Where? Well, where has nobody really shot the Milky Way before in this area?" And I kind of stumbled upon um, uh, it's called McKay Wildlife Refuge. And I had just gotten the new 20 millimeter 1.8 S lens um, by Nikon for their Z cameras. Uh, it just came in like two days before I went on this trip and I was <laughs> excited to use it. And uh, I came across this marsh at the McKay Wildlife Refuge that uh, I haven't seen any pictures of the Milky Way online. So I was like, well, I'll give it, you know, I'll give it a try. And I lucked out. It was the wind was really calm. So I got these really beautiful reflections. Same thing. I did a time lapse and uh, oh, yeah. um, really cool uh, panorama of the Milky Way and the reflections of the Milky Way in, the, in this uh, stagnant water. And um, yeah, it was just a beautiful spot. And then I actually drove up to Virginia and stopped at another wildlife refuge that was open and it wasn't as dark as the place in North Carolina, but it was still pretty good. And um, again, I didn't see many photos online, so I was happy to kind of create something new. I'm like, wow, like nobody's yeah. really photographed here before. It's beautiful, you know. So I, I love that when that happens. That's my goal is like to not be redundant and uh, you know, and find yeah. new places to share. That, that's an interesting byproduct, maybe, of a lot of places that are well-known being shut down and locked up for right now, is that yeah. you're forced to find what could work that is definitely under the under the radar and not exactly so busy that they need to block you from going there. Yeah. That's awesome. And that was, what, last week, you said? Last week, yeah. Yeah, I have a vlog up as well on YouTube right now of that um, for people that are interested in finding out about those places. Oh, right on. Um, with that location, um, I saw, let's see, I'm going to your YouTube channel right now. There is vlog two, episode three, wildlife and marsh. Okay, cool. I'll link to that as well so you guys can catch up with Mike on that. We'll take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about my first Milky Way of the year. And unfortunately, I did not capture any blogging video. I had some, but I was in a rush situation. I'll explain it why. And I didn't have anything to put up on YouTube. But this was a good experience testing something that I'd done successful back in 2019 at the Canyonlands, and I repeated that process at an area, well, frankly, I won't tell you where it is, but we'll come right <laughs> back and we'll talk about that. Let me take you through the entire process of everything you need to know, everything that I've gained in years of doing Milky Way, I would say distilled down, but honestly, this is a way comprehensive Milky Way course. This has everything. My whole goal of this course is to make sure that you can be an absolute beginner and succeed at repeating these steps. Go to aaronking.photogadventures.com. You can see the course, all the information, right down to multiple videos that show entire modules and some sneak peeks of other modules so you can get an exact example of what's in the course. You don't have to just take my word for it. You can watch a section of the course and say, you know, okay, I like the way he's teaching that. I do definitely want to learn that. Let's go for it. I'm going to jump in. There are only 26 left that are going to go at this price of $30 before I bring the price back up to $97. So go and check it out right away. Again, that's AaronKing.PhotogAdventures.com. 
Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. I'm hanging out with Milky Way Mike, and we are talking our first Milky Ways of 2020. And while Mike has done two now, is that true? Two nights of Milky Way so far? Yes. Okay, so only two, thankfully. I've only had one. I had one night in January where I wanted to capture that, okay, PhotoPills says at this elevation or this latitude, the Milky Way's first night of showing up is the 16th or something, right? And I'm getting ready to go and I'm looking at, okay, I'm going to go out to the Canyonlands and do a time lapse and show people how, okay, the night before that first night of the Milky Way core showing up, look at the time lapse. And then look at the time lapse of the night of the first First night of the Milky Way showing up. Notice how they're not very different. And kind of explain how, you know, this point in the Milky Way core, this center point near just Sagittarius A asterisk, that is the center of the Milky Way. And that wasn't high enough on the horizon to say, oh, the Milky Way core is visible. But half of it nearly is visible and all the rest of the Milky Way. So I wanted to show that time lapse and show people that. And so here at Canyonlands, I'm showing Milky Way Mike the pictures on my screen as I talk to him about it. I wanted to get another time lapse showing this, but it'll be even lower to the ground and show how low and the shape of the Milky Way in January. And my goal was to get a January time lapse, a February time lapse, March, and go through the whole year. As I was leaving, I finally had a clear a clear night. I know it was gonna work. I knew it was gonna work and I could drive all the way down there to get there in time. I had my camera lenses up on the table behind me here. I had my camera batteries being fully charged. I even had my extra backup battery that's a goal zero that I can plug things in if I want to do a longer time lapse. I had that fully charged. I was raring to go. And just before I finished packing the clothes and putting my camera gear into the box, it suddenly occurred to me, how much time do I really have? Should I get some sleep before I go? So I go look at PhotoPills again to recognize the exact minute I need to be there to start a time lapse where I can see some of the Milky Way. Because you know in PhotoPills, as you're changing the timeline back and forth, you can see the other dots of the Milky Way before you see the big dot representing the core. So I was thinking, okay, let me see how many of those dots are up and how much of the Milky Way I can see at this time. And as I was doing that... I finally, finally, as practiced and masterful as I am at photo pills, I finally recognized, oh yeah, you see that big blue line showing where the moon is? That thing is actually up already. And that moon is not only up, but it's up right where the Milky Way is, just before the Milky Way comes up. And it's going to be there the entire feckin' time. And so I'm realizing, <laughs> suck. <laughs> I was so excited about the weather conditions that I forgot to double check the moon. It was the week before the new moon. You know, it was about 10 days, 11 days before the new moon. And so before the new moon, the moon, the, the moon stays up or after the new moon, the moon stays up a little longer each night before the new moon. It takes, it basically starts setting a little later each night or a rising a little later each night. So I'm looking at this time in the 16th, it was rising a little bit later, but not late enough. And so it was rising, unfortunately, with my Milky Way and coming up around the exact same time. Was it a and crescent moon? Sorry. It was. It was going to be low. It was going to have that lowest illumination possible. It was, it was basically the last quarter moon because on the 16th it would have been. 
And so it would be 50% illuminated still. It okay. wasn't crescent enough. Yes, a crescent, I might be able to save it and have some yeah. visibility. But usually, if that crescent moon is still anywhere near my core, it's not going to show much. Especially in a time-lapse video that's supposed to educate how... At this time of the year, this is what the Milky Way looks like. And if you can't see a lot of the detail because the moon's washing it out, it was going to be a bust. Gotcha. So, so January, I, 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 I held back and said, there'll be other opportunities. Not realizing that 2020 was about to be the craziest begin to a year that I've ever had in my entire life. And so I went to a conference in uh, Nashville for entrepreneur stuff in January. I was really focused on the entrepreneur side and building the business. So February, when it came to time to go, I was at crunch mode. I was in crunch mode for delivering some stuff that I was working on. And I couldn't leave. And I thought, don't worry. You can't get out in February. It won't be the end of the world. Plus, the clouds aren't great. Um, let's just not push it. Let's go in March. Then March came in the COVID virus, and I was ready to go thinking, hey, everyone's home because of corona. It's going to be less busy at Mesa Arch even. I could go to Mesa Arch with less people. I look into it. Oh, there's just as many people as ever going to Mesa Arch. And it got so bad that the, the crowds weren't abating. And they had to close that entire county. They restricted all camping in the area unless you're from that county. And they closed all the facilities and campgrounds and you know KOAs, plugging in your trailer. All of those options that people had who were traveling into the state to use, they, they closed them all down to try and mitigate the amount of people out there. It kind of worked. And so it got to the point to where just before I was going to leave, literally the day of... I look into my chances of going down to Canyonlands and getting a time lapse. It's getting closer towards the new moon. And what I end up finding out is announcing today Canyonlands, Moab, and much other places are going to be closed for all visitors and that they are closing the gates. And so you can't even drive past the front entrance to get out to the grand viewpoint out here, an island in the sky. And so my chance of coming out here to Island in the Sky and capturing another Milky Way like this and practicing my blending a sky shot with a foreground shot, it was over. I got benched. And I'd already been stuck at home for so long, it was really discouraging. And I thought, crap. So I didn't go out in March either. So what happened in January where I should have just gone with the moon anyway ended up being my last chance. And if I just hadn't been so business focused in February, I would have gone then. And I was just, I was COVID-19 out of going in March. So April finally came and it was starting to get to a time when the moon will be cooperating with the time that the Milky Way is up. If you guys are familiar with the early season Milky Way, it takes longer for it to rise. And so after the the new moon even though the moon stays up later it never gets in the way of your milky way in this early in the season because it's always setting before that milky way starts rising but the week before the new moon there's a chance that it might not match up well and so i was watching my dates watching my time and i was getting down to the point to where the um am i saying march i've been meaning to say april in april now that the out of chicago live conference is coming up and I'm teaching how to do a dual exposure panorama with like my Canyonland shot here. I wanted to prove that I've done it more than once and that I've succeeded at it more than once. 
I'm looking at the 24th is where my lesson is. I'm down to my last possible opportunity. The clouds are cooperating finally. I can go right on the night of the new moon, the 22nd through the night of the 23rd. It's the day after the peak of the Lyrid meteor shower. And I wasn't going to capture much of those, but at least I was going to be able to get out with a clear sky. And I checked my map app. I checked clear, dark sky. I checked everything. And I'm thinking, okay, even though the 22nd was clearer up here in Utah County, it's actually looking clear down in the, down in the area that I want to go. The secret area, the area that I'm not going to say, because if I give a few uh, local uh, landmarks, you'll be able to find it. And I'm trying not to spread the word about this location. But this is a brilliant, brilliant overlook that had the few elements that made a really easy to create dual panorama. And what comes down, what it comes down to in this dual panorama is you have a dark sky matching with the longer one minute exposure each frame um, foreground. So you have a panorama of the sky at eight seconds and a panorama row of the foreground that it's every frame is a whole minute long. And now, when you put those on top of each other, it ends up being quite stark, a very dark sky with a very bright foreground. And so there's a few key elements that I discovered in the Canyonland shot that made that one succeed. First, I had a big open chasm and a distant area that was so low and so far from me that in the distance, it had its own you know, gradual change to a darker shot before it got to the horizon where the sky began. So I already had a little bit of help there with my foreground being almost more natural that it gets darker towards the horizon and not weird that it's dark compared to my foreground that's nice and bright. So I needed something that was an overlook from a cliff that had a big open chasm that was going to allow me and afford me the opportunity to blend that sky in with the ground. So I wanted to try it out here in this overlook area. Uh, Mike, you go alone, right, when you go out? Uh, typically, yeah. What do you do to keep yourself sane from not like <laughs> your imagination running wild with you thinking that there's something there? Uh, well, I, I always leave a, have a knife on me, <laughs> like <laughs> ready to go. No, I, I bring um, usually a podcast I'll listen to or and some music, and sometimes I'll blare it pretty loud, too, if, I, yeah. if there's like some... Uh, and if I know there's animals in the area, like coyotes or bears or something like that, then I definitely blast some music just to kind of... <laughs> yeah, they don't f- want to come near you in that situation. Yeah, like some heavy metal music. They're not going to come near you. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too, especially with podcasts, because then it sounds like multiple people are there and they just won't yeah. get close. So when it comes to like the animals of the area, I'm not that worried. Yeah. I unfortunately have a wild imagination. And I get myself freaked out in different ways every time. And I do this every time, but I get through it. But it's just, I hate myself for having these weird situations. So here, as you're picturing the cliff, because you can see me standing on it, uh-huh. I get out there, I feel fine. You know, I'm like, it's night. I put on my podcast. Well, now I'm starting to picture myself on this, like, well, if I got into a, a, a wrestling match with some animal out here, I'm on a a very precarious yeah. <laughs> perch. I don't want to get bumped and scared and, and trip off the edge of this cliff and die alone because no one knows where I am. They're never going to find my body for quite some time unless someone happens across the truck that I rented and figures, well, there's a tripod right here. He probably, <laughs> he probably is down over that ledge. I know that but, feeling. <laughs> <laughs> no one that knows me realizes I even came here. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, I don't want them to sneak up on me. So I turn off my podcast and I'm listening. 
Is anyone like creeping around me? I'm like, why do I feel like, okay, headlamp on, looking around. No, there's nothing in here. There's nothing around me. I'm totally alone. If anything, I should be worried about a scorpion coming up yeah. and stabbing my ankle. And now I'm thinking, why am I not wearing pants? Why am I wearing <laughs> shorts? Why am I so casual and cavalier about this? Because a scorpion could. So now I'm looking on the ground thinking, okay, is a scorpion there? No, no scorpions. That's what uh, I do. <laughs> not over there. Okay, okay, here we're good. So then I got back to taking my shot. Well, the clouds were coming in. And so the clouds, what was the clouds that weren't there when the Milky Way was below the horizon, have decided to magically appear during the time that the Milky Way is above the horizon. So as you're looking at this image, Mike, you probably see how high up my arch is. Yeah. I, unfortunately, the shot in Canyonlands, I didn't have a chance to create the pano in a nice balanced spot in the sky compared to the foreground because I had to wait for clouds to move. So here I am. Yeah, I don't particularly hate the height of it. I think that works fine. Oh, it doesn't fine. ruin it, right? But, you know, and what you were saying before is as far as light fall off, that's key. I think one of the biggest mistakes people do um, with night photography is when they have a really bright foreground and they don't have a really dark horizon that's just too bright. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, even, even in this, uh, you might be able to darken it a little bit more, um, you know, further back, uh, maybe like a more gradual... Uh, it is a bit sudden, isn't it? Because yeah. as I put it together the night before Out of Chicago Live, I was showing them a simple way of doing this fast. And so okay. I didn't go into it crazy hard. And so I can see what you're saying. Like, yeah. there is this thin band of yeah. gradient instead of stretching it out maybe like an inch down into the image. Yeah, if you go a little further, I think, because I really love the detail. You don't want to go too far because it's gorgeous all you know all these striations and and the terrain is it's just very beautiful so you don't want to get rid of that but you definitely want to maybe have a more gradual uh, darkening in that horizon area i'm going to talk more about this and what could have gone better segment and the the brilliant part is if you follow through with what you're saying when we were talking for this podcast and you actually can come out here dude we're going to make this shot work we're going to make this shot this is a beautiful spot and as you were saying with scorpions and stuff like that, <laughs> dude, I, I get the same way with paranoia sometimes. When I was um, in this marsh area, uh, you know, it's a new it's a new place for me. Um, yeah, I don't know what's there, so right. I'm like, I'm, and it's North Carolina, so it's kind of humid. They they have snakes, they have poisonous snakes. So I'm, yep. I'm like walking around. It's two in the morning, and I'm looking down. I'm like, is that? A, I see a stick. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's a snake. I'm like, no, it's just a stick. A snake, you know? a snake. So I'm like, keep an eye out for like poisonous snakes. Um, and what's really funny is I hear, you know, these loud slaps on the water. So I'm like, oh man, there's like fish or something like eating the bugs. Yeah. And um, I shine my light out on this water and I could have sworn this thing was out of the water. I don't know what it was. <laughs> and what? and it, it looked like very pale and it, like almost like it was like the underbelly, like the under, like the mouth of uh, like an alligator. I was like. Oh. I was like, I was like, is that an alligator? <laughs> you know, oh like at first I didn't think about an alligator until like the next day. I was like, was that an alligator? <laughs> oh my man, you were possibly <laughs> close to an alligator like that. It, it's I don't know. I can't verify that, but <laughs> I mean, it is like a marsh, you know. And yeah, the, the, no, it's funny. It's called Alligator River, and uh, that's, uh, okay, that's not too far. <laughs> um, that wasn't too far away from me, so I was like, I guess it's possible. <laughs> Yikes! Oh my gosh, that would freak me out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the yeah. way that our minds go like that, uh, it's already a panic when you're afraid of something that never you never see. 
I made the mistake of actually seeing a rattlesnake in Escalante in a path that I walk all the time. And so now, every time I walk past there, every stick is not just a potential rattlesnake, but it's that same one, you know, the one that freaked me out from the other night, one that I wasn't panicked about at all. But then once I startled it and it started jumping around and then I start jumping around like we're both a bunch of popcorn on top of an oil of a pan and we're bouncing up and down <laughs> trying to not step on each other or bite each other. It, it, it's completely made me paranoid. When I went disc golfing the other day, my disc went off into a higher bunch of grass and I start walking towards it and I'm like, snake. <laughs> like, why am I afraid of snakes all of a sudden? I've been in this park all the time. It has a bit of an uh, outside of the maintained area, goes into some disc golf uh, buckets out there. And so I have never been afraid of snakes walking all throughout here finding, finding discs. Yeah. Now that I saw that one rattlesnake, my mind is more paranoid. And I've got this trauma now that I'm having to fight back. I walked around back from those big grasses and avoided them and then turned off my podcast so I'd hear any movement in the grass (laughs) so that I wouldn't have any sort of way of miss. I'm such a I'm such a weak sauce paranoid freak now about it. It's crazy. I don't blame you. I mean, when I was in Joshua Tree, I I did this um, this hike. You're not supposed to do it at night, but, you know, you know us night photographers. We've got to we got to bend the rules a little bit. So I went out there. It's very sandy. You know, it's a sandy path, and at nighttime, I I must have stepped stepped on four scorpions. There were so Ooh. many scorpions, uh, but they were it was cold, so they were really sluggish. But it was cool to see them. You know, they weren't really moving that fast or anything. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> but uh, but when I went to set up to take my night pictures, it sucks because you have to turn off your headlamp. So yeah. I'm like, I'm checking my feet first. I'm like, make sure there's no scorpions. All right, turn mm. off my light. Now take the picture, turn it back on, make sure there's no scorpions. <laughs> Did they get closer every time you turn the light off? And then yeah, they turn right. the light They're on, they freeze? <laughs> no, no, I didn't see any bothering like ninja me when cat. I got to the location. It was only on the path that I had to take to get there. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> see, now those are going to be in my head too. Those yeah. are going to be right there. Every time I go to Joshua Tree, I'll think about that. That was one of my trips that got canceled in March because of the dang COVID. I almost yeah. went to Joshua Tree in March. That's another reason why in February I didn't go because I I already had to plan to go so many places. Uh, anyway. I know. All my plans are ruined. I was actually planning on going to Utah in May regardless. I had my flights booked oh, and everything. Okay. I canceled the flights, but uh, I think I'm going to drive out there. So That's awesome. I can't wait. I'm stoked. Okay, so we'll, we're going to hang out and do some collaborations and do some fun right there. That's going to be a blast. That's going to make things a lot better for me. I won't be stuck in this apartment all day. <laughs> But to end this picture experience that I had, I wasn't just afraid of what was going on with the potential enemy that might freak me out enough to make me lose my balance and fall off the cliff. No, I left my camera on time lapse. I let the clouds come in. I put it on 30 seconds so you can see as much as you could of the bottom terrain and and see the clouds moving, right? Well, then I'm sitting there. Back at the truck now, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this should be fine. I put on an iPad. I actually have some signal coming into my iPhone, so I'm using my internet and watching Netflix. I'm thinking, this is this is the life. You're out here, middle of nowhere, <laughs> got a great Milky Way time lapse going, and you're just watching Netflix because you have internet signal. Well, for some reason, I felt like the truck moved, and I'm like, did I just bump something? 
is the truck going to roll? It's not on a perfect position. And of course, I'm facing my tripod in the truck where it's facing the downhill towards the cliff edge to go to, you know, fall off to your death. So now I've gone from paranoid that there's something there to attack me to the truck's brakes are going to give out. And while I'm watching <laughs> Netflix, the truck is going to roll itself off the cliff. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? Why am I so paranoid? So I turned off everything, turned off the light, and I jumped outside, and I'm like, calm down. Look, right here's the bush. The bush you were parked by, it's the same bush. You haven't moved. (laughs) And I'm thinking, okay, forget it. Okay, now we're getting closer to the clouds moving, and I'm also worrying about the Milky Way getting too high. So I finally am thinking, okay, i got to capture my shot. I'm going to be spending a lot of time on the foreground capturing capturing the Milky Way as well. So I move myself out to position, and you just you have to force yourself to stand there. And when you stand there long enough, nothing happens. You don't turn your light on for a while. Your eyes are adjusting, and you can see things around you, and you hear that it's just you, the wind, the clouds, the, the cliff edge that you might fall off of. That's the only thing that you have to worry about is the wind gust coming up and pushing you off the ledge. That's the worst of it. Well, I just started enjoying the night sky again, and I was able to capture successfully a Milky Way without the clouds blocking the core, and there's some interest even with the Milky Way clouds being there. So if I look at this and say, what went well and what didn't go well to end this podcast? What went well is just like in Canyonlands, because of the nature of a panorama that where in front of you, you kind of have a flat uh, parallel to the bottom of the frame terrain. And then as you look to your right and look to your left, you're taking that terrain and adding a curve that isn't, isn't there. It's because of your panorama stitching together a flat line and it becomes a curve. So now I get this sort of counter curve to the Milky Way arch where in the Milky Way comes up and creates a semicircle and below in the foreground I get a little semicircle in the Canyonland shot I get a really cool semicircle that frames the dinosaur footprint canyon right there that looks like a giant dinosaur has put his foot down and that is the big interest in my image unfortunately well, okay, I'll keep going with what went well. What went well with this, the curve happened nicely on this cliff edge, and you can see the terrain around it. You can see the stuff I'm standing on on that cliff edge, that's loose rock that could break away at any moment that I'm standing on. <laughs> and the Milky Way arch is coming up, creating a nice similar arch with the bottom. How high the Milky Way went kind of mirrors how low the terrain goes here, but I know of some things I want to do to make it different. So what could have gone better is I would have loved to have the Milky Way just a little bit lower in the sky so that I could see more above it and have more breathing room, as well as get the foreground in a different position where I can see more of the cliff walls. I mean, you're seeing the cliff walls here, and they're coming in, but I stop. There's some context here that I lo- that I lose, and right here, this foreground is so, so close, and it's right on the horizon that I end up having to do a black gradient on top of rocks that are close. Now, what it is is me just masking the blackness of the foreground of the sky image over on top of the foreground and so this I'm not adding black but by masking in the black hues of the other image it's creating that black overlay that it doesn't look as natural there so I want to get further away from this left side and pull over to the right and get a full turn and see the rock terrain turn and not cut off right here on the right as well as try to bring these higher on the horizon 
I had clouds, and those clouds were ruining my horizon where these are pillars that would kind of stick above the horizon and they'd be visible. But due to the fact that the clouds stretched the black even higher and the light pollution of the city right here and the airport right there going up against the clouds, I almost said the city and gave it away, uh, this is making it, um, it's making that situation happen where it blooms so much light right there but then it's black instantly under my under my pillars. So I couldn't keep that brighter spot with the brighter pillars and have them work together. They ended up working off of each other poorly. And as I kept more pillar visible, they looked odd and out of place. And so I need to try a different exposure to bring out these and this wall of rock right here. That frankly is very interesting and I'm missing it here. So what I have is a place that has really sinewy lines of old rivers and washes that water's coming through that's carving through the rock. I have higher points of rock below me that aren't being obvious higher points. And it's it would be neater if I maybe blended this with a moon that rose later than the Milky Way, that I got a little bit of light from the moon, like barely on the horizon, that would give me enough light on the foreground with some highlights and contrast without blowing up my sky so much that then the transition between brighter foreground, barely lit up horizon sky, and then go into a Milky Way shot. So I'm going to try multiple things when I'm out there. I'm hoping that the timing that you're coming works out for me to do the moon one, but if it doesn't, I'll go ahead and get the same kind of shot like this where it's all ambient light, starlight, no extra light, and capture it that way with you, and we'll see how it goes. All right, that sounds good. Does, awesome. Is this a good spot for uh, sunrise, I would imagine, too, right? Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, the the Because you're on the really interesting cliff, capturing it plus the sunrise down there is a balance and a choice of composition that can work out sometimes and be boring and then other times. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting because everything interesting is right below you. And so since it falls down, you don't get anything that breaks the plane, breaks the horizon that comes up and makes any interest in both halves of the image. Gotcha. You end up with a half that's the sky and a half that's the foreground. So I would probably, I, I tend to go for three-fourths foreground and one-fourth of sky. But we'll that's play what I was around thinking. Yeah. We are going to be out there and we'll probably have it not to ourselves because May will get busy, but the most I've ever seen out there at one time were five other people other than my group, and so it's not bad. It's an easy place to make work, and uh, if you're not afraid of heights, it's a cool place to stand instead of tripod up. I used to be a roofer. You're not afraid <laughs> so, of heights then. I'm not afraid of <laughs> <Awesome>. heights. <laughs> so yeah, we guys, thanks so much for listening to us talk about our first Milky Way of the Year. And Mike, uh, thanks for joining me about this. Uh, thanks for having me again. Oh, of course. I, I I can't believe it's been as long as it has been since I've had you back on, but I think that I'll be able to have you on more in the future as I transition to a Milky Way focused podcast yeah i'm, I'm gonna need to hear from the east coast and hear what you guys are doing a lot more often and so just the challenge of going out for your first milky way of the year i'd say the biggest thing is the clouds of the weather transition from winter to spring it's just the clouds that get in the way the most right absolutely yeah it's 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 rough trying to you know waiting for a clear night and the clouds change so constantly um you know i always get asked uh do you do um you know, uh, like a group, uh, a group outing and things like that. And um, 
I, I just can't predict the weather out here. It's <laughs> yeah. just it's not like out west uh, where you could get like a whole week of clear skies. Here it could say it's clear, um, you know, a few days out, but really to be the most accurate, you want to go the night before, you know, the night before the wet, you know, the you check the weather is usually the most accurate. So I'm very last minute when I do my trips out, you know, on the East Coast here because of just how bad it is with the clouds. Yeah. You almost have to be. I have to be that way at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year, which is why my Milky Way workshops are typically from May through July. Past July even is risky just because you sit you sit in a situation where out here in the West, you could have a lot of wildfires, just the smoke is going to make the skies bad. And so we deal with those best months, not because it's the only months you can see the Milky Way, but it's because when you try and bring other people the fear of clouds ruining it is just too great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even last year I went to Oregon uh, for the first time and I went late July into August, into early August. Um, it was like a two-week trip. Yeah. And I couldn't believe how cl- it was literally clear every night. Every night it was clear <laughs> except for when I got to the coast. When I got to the coast, uh, that's when I had to deal with some clouds and yeah. wait for a clear night. But I was like, this I was so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> we are spoiled over here. Between Utah and Oregon, my favorite places to go for Milky Way, we're crazy spoiled. I have great track records of success going there, except with a couple workshops where people have come in April and and August where we had two completely rained out workshops. Other than that, oh, oh man, incredible success. The margin yeah. for success is so great out here. I'm I love it. I, I couldn't move to the East Coast because I'd be afraid of one moisture constantly and the clouds being there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do workshops in the future, but I just I, I can't do it in this state. And it's hard to to get people to uh, travel long distances because, yeah. um, you know, they if they do a workshop, they want to do in New Jersey. And I just I frankly, I, I hate all the light pollution we have in this state. So I'm like, I don't, <laughs> don't want to do workshops in New Jersey. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. Well, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for adding in your opinion on my images. And I'm looking crazy forward to you being out here in a few weeks. That is going to be awesome. For sure, man. Let's uh, let's figure that out, work out the details, and uh, make it happen. Cool. So awesome. Guys, again, go thank Milky Way Mike by going to his YouTube channel. Hit subscribe first, then watch his videos. And also go to MilkyWayMike.com to check out his other work or his Instagram, Milky underscore Way underscore Mike. Is that correct? Yep. Awesome. Thanks again, man. You have a good one. We'll talk to you guys all later. Get out there and have an adventure. Thanks, guys.